Hello and welcome to another week of No Offense with Matt Shepard, one fan's review of the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Okay, so this week was quite varied in terms of topics that David covered. Uh, it was, was really hard, in my opinion, to pick real highlights or things that I found interesting this past week, but I've managed to do it. Uh, this is my take of what I found most interesting. Uh, or topical, really, what David covered this past week. Now, again, if you haven't listened to his podcast, you really should. It's well worth the 45 minutes of your time. Uh, you, you really learn stuff, and he's he's brilliant. Okay, so on Monday we looked at the first part of the Deshaun Watson, I don't want to say case, maybe dumpster fire. Now, I do realize that at the time of me <clears throat> recording this and posting it, Watson has signed with the team. I will talk about a little bit, but I'm going to review what David talked about that I still think is important, and I still think matters. So, for those of you who don't know, Deshaun Watson is the was the quarterback was of the Houston Texans, now Cleveland Browns, who was a healthy scratch all of last year due to his legal troubles of having 27 uh, complaints, tw- sorry, 20, 23 complaints by 22 women of sexual harassment, sexual misconduct uh, against him. And so, last week, he had a grand jury that decided not to indict him, so therefore, the criminal side of things, at this point, the book is closed. Uh, there is still the chance that there could be other states who could open up criminal charges, but right now, the criminal side of it is a closed book. But, the civil side of it is still wide open and can happen at any time. So, at the time that David had the podcast on Monday, so for the Monday episode, Watson was still on the Texans, but teams were in, they were out, the reports of wanting to trade for him were rampant, there were teams who were, well, it's not going to work, oh, we might make it work, oh, I don't want him, no, if not touched with a 10-foot pole. There was a few teams, nobody really knew what was going on. But Watson's agent, after the grand jury, decided to do a, I guess, a, a speech or give a give a statement and in it he used the word delighted after the ground grand jury decided not to indict him which in david's opinion and i agree is not the word you use you know the civil part is still possible and charges in other states are possible but regardless of that so the grand jury decided not to indict him delighted is the word you decided to use you know 22 women accuse you of these heinous crimes and delighted is the word you use? I mean, it, it, well, really, any type of crime, 22 people accusing you of jaywalking, you're, you're using the word delighted, especially for this? Uh, read the room. Read the room. Somebody really needs to get this lawyer, you know, to take, like, Humanity 101 course and realize that delighted is not a word you use. But I digress. What David really talked about on Monday was he talked about the role of him as a president. You know, would he would he trade for him? You know, one of the things that was interesting that he did cover this, and I kind of want to cover this part first, is how he talked about in the past, uh, he was different as a president of just wanting to win at all costs versus what he is now talking about it. You know, when he looks back on some of the decisions and his thought process as a bit flawed, and upset at how he overlooked some things, and now it almost seems, in my opinion, to, to almost haunt him, in a way. And it's really interesting, the insight of someone who was on the inside, you know, was that ruthless businessman, 
you know, almost, I don't want to say heartless, but almost the just, I'm here for the business, you know, it's nothing personal, it's just business, and talk about the former version of himself and how he's not happy with the, some of the decisions he made, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see that, that, I don't want to say, I guess, Jekyll and Hyde maybe, where you're, you're in work mode, you're, you're in boss mode, I'm the president of the Marlins, I have to make decisions that I'm not thinking about because what's my job? My job is to win. My job is to win and make money. And, well, actually, really, the job is to make money. And winning is, is secondary to that. So you're making decisions that allow you to make money. And, yes, you, you win games and that's how you make money. But one of the ways you, you make money. But it's just it's interesting to see that when you when you are in that role, you're not looking at in the moral side of it as, as us as the fans. You know, we tend to too often put our thought process, our mentality, our morals on teams and forget that they're a business. They're looking at Deshaun Watson and they're saying, we can win. We win. More fans in the stands. More sponsors. More marketing dollars. More revenue. All kinds of things. A Super Bowl, maybe. All that coverage. And yeah, maybe there is somebody in there who's saying, yeah, but it's Watson. But it is easily met with just saying, yeah, but it's winning. It's winning and it's money. And I just think that's really interesting that that we get to see that, that two sides, that when you're in that role, in that business, you your head is in the sand, uh, you know, as he, as he mentioned. And I understand that. You have to be. I, you could not be. You wouldn't last if you were an executive, if you, every time you, you came across something that you didn't like, uh, or as, as Mike Ryan calls Icky on the Dan Lebetard show, you could never do that job. You really could. You, you couldn't do it in any job, really. There are things that you have to just deal with. Sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller. It depends on the scale, the size and scale uh, of how much you're willing to swallow and, and turn a blind eye to. Uh, you know, a, a company with a $10 billion deal is probably willing to turn a blind eye to a hell of a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'm sure they have. A small department of ten people maybe won't turn a blind eye to something horrible and heinous. But, again, ten billion dollar deal, you most likely will. So, it, it just I just thought it was interesting. I just thought, uh, you know, the, the, the part of the fan, and now looking back on the executive, I think is really interesting. And it's really one of the things you get from the David Sampson, uh, Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. So the next thing that he talked about was what were the two things that he would have to have for him to trade for him. You know, he isn't just going to say as a former executive, I would or I wouldn't. He really gives us an insight. And it's really interesting. So as an executive, David would want to know, like, one, what is going to be given up in terms of the trade and how many games suspension will he face? So it's kind of the two things. Are we giving up the farm and is he going to be six games, eight games, a season, indefinite, what's it going to be? You don't want to give up the farm and find out that the NFL is going to say 17-game suspension, and you've got this, and you've given up everything, and a year is gone. Everyone else is playing. Like, that's the thing. You're your team. So I can understand why David wants to know this, because as, a, as an executive, you're potentially trading away a whole lot of stuff. 
and all of a sudden your star piece is now gone, but everyone else is playing. It's not like the whole team is just going to take the year off, and you're going to say, oh, well, the Cleveland, turns out the Cleveland Browns are just going to sit out the season. No, no, everyone else is playing. Everyone else's contract can continue on. Uh, and so just because Watson is not playing, it doesn't help you. So that's that's interesting. And the second thing that he's wanting to know is, you know, what does it mean to not play for a year? And that's something that we don't really think about, which is which is interesting. I, I never really thought about that. Uh, you know, as he as he mentioned, like, does this does it extend the best years? He'd ask his his people, you know, is his him being off for the year, uh, does it extend his best years? Is he still in his prime, or is there rust? You know, which which am I getting? And I never really thought about that. Yeah, he hasn't played for a year, and obviously he's kept himself in shape. You know, it'd be ridiculous not to. But what what are you getting? And I think that is definitely something now that we can see the Cleveland Browns uh, have taken on. And I think it's a bit of a risk, if you ask me. Uh, you don't know what you're getting. I mean, <laughs> practice is different, and throwing a few balls on the sideline is different. You really don't know what you're getting. I I don't want to say, I'm not trying to sit here and call that... Oh, it's it's going to be a disaster. But to be totally honest with you, if he ends up, if the, if in a year or two the Cleveland Browns are trying to get rid of him, or there's rumor that they're regretting it, I, honestly, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I mean, look at uh, I know Michael Vick was older. I I know that. But look at I mean I think he was out for maybe a season and a bit. It might have been longer. I think it was a season wasn't, you know, years. He wasn't gone for like five or six, so he was gone for maybe a year, maybe longer. Somebody, I'm sure, could correct me. But when he came back, he was not the Michael Vick. Again, he was older, I know. But any time, when you do look at it, you spend time off, it's very rare that you come back. I mean, well, Brett Favre, I can't remember how long he might have been gone for. Might have been gone for longer again. Older, but still, you, you never come back, and I can I can see that. So it'll be interesting to see what the, what the Cleveland Browns are going to get. And so now I'm not going to get too much into his contract because David is going to, I'm sure, cover this next week. Uh, but I'm just going to give my two cents on it so far. Uh, you know, it's a ridiculous amount of money. And I I have seen it elsewhere, and, and this is something that kind of got brought to my attention reading about it, is, you know, the, the $45 million bonus the first year and the million-dollar salary. So basically, if he's suspended... They can only deduct from the million dollars base salary. So he'll get a king's ransom for this year regardless, which to me is a bit disgusting. I am a bit, dis I'm not a bit, I am disappointed in Cleveland Browns. I liked that team. I, I did. Uh, I'm not a diehard fan. I was never a diehard fan, but I liked them. I, I don't really have a team, to be honest with you, in the NFL. But they were they were a fun team to watch. If I could say if anything, my team would be the Bills. I like Josh Allen. But nah, side point. But I did I did like the Browns. I thought they were an exciting up and coming team. They were just missing a few pieces, and I do think quarterback was one of them. This was not how I would have gotten a quarterback, uh, if you ask me. And I think this contract, where his base salary is a million, so that that way he protects his his income when he's suspended, is I'm sorry, but that's disgusting. That's cheap and dirty, and I'd like to see the NFL step in. I know they won't, but I would like to see them step in and, and kind of say, you're not doing this. So, of course, I'm sure I'll be covering this contract part next week, uh, but I just wanted to kind of get my two cents in on that now. 
Okay, so Tuesday, the story that David covered that really interested me was the fiasco of Fernando Tatis Jr. and his wrist. So Fernando Tatis Jr. plays for the Padres in Major League Baseball, and it turns out he broke his wrist while off on this lockout, and is going to be out for two to three months because he broke his wrist riding on a motorcycle, which is something that, according to David, is disallowed in his contract. Now, I have heard of this where there are things that they banned, like David talked about, like no skydiving, uh, no ATVs or no motorcycles. Now, I know this from the Tom Cruise. Supposedly, he had a thing where it allowed him to ride motorcycles, but I've heard of other actors being banned from it. And it makes sense that athletes have this. And it'd be interesting to see. I'd like to, if I could ask him, what's the craziest thing he had to put in not to have a player do that they knew a player has done in the past or liked to do? I think that'd be a pretty, pretty funny story, but I digress. Now, right out the bat, I'm going to say this. I've never gotten this. I've never understood why athletes especially risk their lives and their careers doing something so stupid. You know, I get it. You want to live your life. You want to use this money that you're making. But why risk it all for something that isn't allowed in your contract and something that's dangerous to begin with? I mean, yeah, I like a motorcycle. But for me, ending up in a wheelchair is not great. Not something I want. Uh, but I could still do my job. I could not do it as a baseball player if I end up in a wheelchair. And why risk it? You know, it's not like you retire at 65. You retire 40 or before with hundreds of millions of dollars. Ride a bike then. Ride ride motorcycles then. Go nuts. You know, not now. Why risk everything? Not to mention the selfishness of, you know, you've got teammates who are relying on you. And now you're out for two to three months because you wanted to have fun riding on a motorcycle, being stupid. I look at, uh, you know, one of my my sporting heroes, Kimi Raikkonen. One thing I never liked with him in Formula, he's a Formula One, former Formula One driver. I never really, I mean, he raced uh, skidoos, he raced boats, he did it all. He loved speed. And that, to me, is just reckless because you've not only... I mean, I get it. You want to mess up your life? That's that's fine. You know, you've got millions. You can retire and not do it. But you have a team that's relying on you. And Formula One, more so than baseball, they, they need you. You know, you're their number one driver. And one that really comes to mind with this, I think it really explains the stupidity, really, I have to put it, and selfishness of players like this, like Tatis, when they go and risk it over something as fleeting as riding a motorcycle is, again, to go back to Formula One, you know, Robert Kubica, you know, and now David is, is supposedly, he watched Drive to Survive, which I covered last week's episode, and you really should watch it, and tomorrow might be when I post this, uh, today, <laughs> uh, I'm recording this on Saturday, for those of you now wondering, uh, is the first race of the 2022 season in Bahrain. Now, Robert Kubica is a name that if you're not a diehard Formula One fan, you wouldn't know. He was, at one point, uh, one of the best up-and-coming drivers in Formula One history, and one that I can remember. Uh, And like all Formula One drivers, he likes speed. And one day he decided, one of his things that he was doing was rallying. And one day he decided, or one, one race, I should say, not one day he decided, he wouldn't decide to crash. One day while rallying, he crashed. He hit a guardrail, and... It was bad. Uh, it was 
when you look at the photos, the guardrail like went in the car, and it messed him up badly. He almost died. I'll just put it frankly, he almost died. But what the biggest problem was, and that kept him out, uh, I believe it was 2011-2012 season, was he lost pretty much almost the complete use of his right hand and forearm. If you look at before and after pictures, it's night and day. I don't want to diminish it, but it's it it's it's almost horrifying to be honest with you. Looking at his right hand and right forearm, his his hand is is in a permanent position. It, it's skeletal. It's, it's I don't I mean I'm trying not to sound like I'm making fun of it or being rude. He was I liked him as a driver and I still do, uh, but he was he was going to be champion one day. He was going to go down in the history books of one of the best drivers in Formula One history, which is not something a lot of people get to say. And it turns out he even had a pre-contract, which is basically, they agreed to it, that he was going to race for Ferrari, which is still the number one team. It's like playing for the Yankees. It's like playing for, you know, the, the Lakers, the Celtics. It's like playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the team you want to drive for, even if they're not having a great season. Ferrari is still number one. And he had a pre-contract to race with Ferrari. The sky was a limit for him. It really was. It really was. Uh, I'm trying to think of a person who's won and young in this in the sky's limit. I can't really think of a player coming to mind right now, but it was the sky was the limit for him. And it was gone in an instant because he wanted to have fun. He wanted to wind down rallying. His day job was dangerous and death-defying enough, but he decided it's not enough. I gotta go rallying. My passion, my love of speed. And putting this, again, my thing of the selfishness aside of your team, he he ended his career. He never came back to form. He came back for a season, and he didn't last. He was not the Robert Kubica... I mean, yes, there was time left out, but I mean, he can't use his right hand. You need two hands to drive a race car. And so, for a passion project of his to fulfill his love of speed and to be racing all the time, he ended his career across everything. He's he's not Robert Kubica, world champion, Ferrari driver. He's not in the history books as the greatest of all time, or one of the greatest. He's he's in the history books as a cautionary tale, as as a tale of what not to do, of, you know, this is what happens when you are reckless. And I, and I don't mean reckless as being a daredevil. I mean reckless as in not realizing what you do is dangerous enough you don't need to add more danger to it. You find another passion. Pick up knitting. Pick up playing poker for fun. Pick up Lego, for God's sake. Anything. Don't risk when your main job requires full use of all limbs and not to be in a wheelchair. I mean, if he's side passion, if he was able to be a car designer... Okay, you can do that. If he was saying, I want to be a, a, a team principal or a manager or marketing, 
Well, that's fine. You can do that without the use of all limbs. Frank Williams ran a team paralyzed. But when you're in your prime of being a driver, don't risk your life and career over something. You're doing it as a side project because if you want to do it full-time, you're going to stop driving Formula 1 and do it full-time. Like Fernando Tatis Jr. Man, if he wants to, if it was just riding motorcycles, whatever, but if he wants to race them, switch careers. Switch careers so that at least you're not going to look at it and go, huh, I can no longer play baseball because my wrist never came back and maybe that affects my batting, catching, throwing, whatever it could affect. I don't know what, what wrist it was. But at least you can say, yeah, well, I'm no longer playing baseball, so I don't really care. And that, that to me, just it astonishes me. Anyways, I digress. I was just a side I, I kind of had to talk about. So anyways, one of the things David talked about is would they void his contract? You know, and in his opinion, this time they let it go. You know, he's the face of the franchise, but if he does it again, then he has made an example out of, and they would void the contract, and he'd be gone because he broke this clause. And I agree. I wouldn't go down that path right now because he is the face of your franchise. It is only two to three months out of, what is it, an eight-year deal, something crazy like that. And so to, to open up that can of worms, that the relationship's over. He's no longer a padre. He's gone. If you, you go down that path, even to renegotiate, he's either going to bleed you dry of money or he's going to leave and so you could potentially just have thrown away everything your whole team your future for the near couple of years so i agree 100 percent. but i would warn him <laughs> so much is sitting on a motorcycle we'll vote avoid your contract and you'll be you'll be dead to us because we're not risking it we're not spending time for you to rehab for being an idiot plain and simple you know so i i do agree with that and something else that I thought was really interesting, kind of funny almost, is David talked about this, and he's, he's mentioned it before, but this really kind of had me think about it, is he talked about the difference in using weeks and months. You know, as he is an executive, you know, the feeling of weeks seems shorter, even if the same length of time as saying it in months, that he never liked hearing it. Months just sounds too long. Two to three months. Eight to twelve weeks? Well, it's the same thing, but it sounds shorter. And I agree with that. Uh, to be honest with you, I 100% agree. I do think that way, too. I don't know how many other people do, but I certainly do. Uh, you know, I, I remember I had training for a job. Uh, and there was training. And the training was, it was a 90-day thing. And that seemed really short. When I thought, 90 days? Wow. 12 weeks, you know. Uh or three months. Three months sounded like really long training time, but then 90 days, I never really thought like, okay, I, you know, January, February, March type of thing. I, I never thought of it that way, but I, I see David's point that weeks sound shorter. I mean, I'm sure if they could do days, it would really be see-through, but I don't know why they don't use days, because that seems like, wow, he's going to be back tomorrow. But I digress. You know, days, months, weeks, whatever you want to use. One interesting thing, and the last interesting thing that he mentioned on the Fernando Tatis issue is that, in his opinion, and I do kind of agree with this actually, is how the Padres are only going to look to do a stopgap measure for this situation, you know, not a replacement. He's only going to be two to three months, so hopefully he remains healthy during this time and is back even faster. You know, I, I do agree with this. You know, you don't go out and sign someone for a season or try and trade other pieces 
for a replacement player. You know, as David kind of said, you hold your breath and they try not to think of life in eight years with the contract of his. And I, I do, I do think, I agree with that. I think that if it was a season long, I, I definitely would kind of question as a fan of, not really a fan of the Padres, but a fan of baseball, well, why aren't you getting someone? Two to three months, yeah, it's it's a long time, but the team can pick it up. You have backup players, look for the stopgap measure, and then once he's back in, get him in the lineup and get him playing. And then hopefully, hopefully, you make the playoffs. Uh, but I don't know about this. I, I'm by no means an expert. You know, I, I'm not. David Sampson knows more and has a lot better insight than I do. I'm just reviewing his 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 opinions and his insights and kind of interjecting mine. But, you know, the Padres season is not getting off to a good start after the lockout. And to be honest with you, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to call it a wait to see because that's his. This is kind of my opinion, to be honest with you. I got a feeling. I don't know why I do, but I just do. I think this team implodes this season. There's just something about it. They're, they're, to me, they're underperforming with all the players they have. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think this, and I don't know, there's just something about it. I don't want to seem superstitious or, oh, wow, it's ominous. But for some reason, I just, I don't know why, but I would not be surprised if the Padres implode after this season. There's, there's major changes. I just, for some reason, I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, again, I'm not doing a wait to see, but just for some reason, it could be. I'm not saying they will, but I'm just saying there's just some, for some reason, I have that kind of feeling. I wouldn't be surprised. That's why I'm not doing a wait to see, or I'm not stating I think it will, but I wouldn't be surprised. I do think that, you know, the Padres, they're making moves. I think they're, they're a good team. They're a bit underperforming, but we'll see. I'll see what they can do this season. But yeah. I don't know. There's some reason I've got that feeling. Good I don't run a baseball team, eh? <laughs> Why'd you trade the players? I have a feeling. Yeah, that I wouldn't last. Okay, so Wednesday, like Monday and Tuesday, had some really interesting topics, as usual. But the one that really spoke to me was really the final few minutes of that episode. David talked about the World Central Kitchen and its chef, Jose Andres. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a charity organization David likes, and they've been around for a while, but they're really now as well helping out in Ukraine. They have sent what they do, and they've sent, specifically in Ukraine, is they've sent mobile kitchens to the border with Ukraine to help feed the refugees, and they've sent financial and food to Ukrainian restaurants to help Ukrainians in the country, and, you know, they're helping feed the refugees as, they've, as they're fleeing. They are a good charity, and David recommends, you know, checking them out uh, to help donate. You know, I definitely will be, and I'm going to look to donate. Uh, anything anything helps. And this is what I wanted to talk about today. Not really a review, but definitely I want to bring it up. You know, David mentioned Charity Navigator uh, as one of the ways to do your homework on donating and checking out charities, which I agree with. Uh, you know, you have to do your homework on charities no matter what, especially now. Uh, there are a lot of fly-by-night charities who are looking to just, well, not even charities, really. There are, unfortunately, unsavory people who take advantage of these situations. And you think you're donating to 
a worthy wild cause, but really you're lining someone's pockets, you know, and, and it, even the best of times, there are charities who don't always do the work that they say they will. There's more fees and paychecks than there are actual charitable work. So you definitely want to do your homework and check out who you want to donate. You know, you don't have to donate to World Kitchen, a World Central Kitchen if you don't like it. Uh, there are other charities across the board. You know, there are cha charities that are established and they're already working in Ukraine before this began. You know, there are some charities that have begun uh, after this war. Uh, there are some charities that began in 2014 when the war really started in Ukraine, in the east, in Donbass. Uh, but, I mean, really, what I'm the message I think you should get out is, you know, donate whatever you can to worthwhile organizations to help out. You know, we need to do everything we can to help the refugees fleeing and not only, actually, not only just the refugees, but the people who are still in Ukraine, whether they're staying by choice or because they can't leave, whether they physically can't or they've got family that they won't leave behind. You know, we we need to do everything we can for these people. You know, we, myself and you, I'd say most of the people listening, we've never experienced bombs going on outside our homes. We've never had to flee our homes. I'm safe to assume for the most part. I'm sure there are listeners who are listening who probably say, well, I have. But the vast majority, I'm going to say, haven't. And so we have to remember that. We have to remember that it's this is horrifying for these people. This is their whole lives upended. And so we really, we really need to do what we can. And there are loads of charities that are doing great work. You know, there's everything from, you know, Doctors Without Borders. There's, you know... Engineers Without Borders, there's the Red Cross, there's this World Central Kitchen, there's charities across the board that are doing good work, that are helping refugees, that are helping people in the country, you know, there's donating, as I mentioned, I think in my last episode of the episode before, you know, there's there's donating money, there's the government of Ukraine has set up accounts to give money to, you know, military aid and non-lethal aid, there's loads of charities that are that have been in operating in Ukraine for quite a while that could use our help and we really we really need to do the best we can uh, to help help these people and that's what I really wanted to use this time for I didn't wanna I'm not gonna give you charity recommendations because it's something that you need to do yourself what I might be comfortable with and what David might be comfortable with is not what you're gonna be comfortable with not necessarily uh, but nonetheless we need to help out. We need to, whatever we can, you know, it doesn't have to be massive amounts of money. You know, I'm not saying the hundreds of dollars or thousands or tens of thousands. I mean, five dollars helps. You know, five dollars is five dollars less they have to get somewhere else. And so every, every, every dollar, every dime, every penny helps that we can donate. You know, and, and, and do your homework. Do your homework. Look up these charities, Charity Navigator, you know, research them. You don't have to do deep dives and check financials, but just you can see, you, you know, charities have an org a reputation. Don't fall victim to scams. You know, don't. If it seems sketchy, it probably is sketchy. But do your homework and help out however you can. That's that's what's important right now, and I really wanted to highlight that. I didn't want to cover, you know, another another sports story because uh, this I think is is more important to help out to help out as best we can, in whatever way we can.
Thursday, David covered really one of my favorite topics I love to, to rant about on sports, uh, is overtime in the NFL. For those of you who don't know, the rule, the tie, the overtime rule in the NFL states, whoever wins the coin toss, if they choose to get take the ball, and honestly no one defers when it's overtime, and the team that gets the ball scores a touchdown, they automatically win, you know, a walk-off, as, as David called it in baseball. And I don't agree with this, and nor does David, and turns out neither do the Titans. They recommend a walk-off can only happen in overtime if the team that scores the touchdown also goes for a two-point conversion. Now, right off the bat, David is out on this, and his opinion is so is the NFL. As he states, any scenarios where a walk-off can occur will never get the go-ahead, and I agree. I can't stand the walk-off in the NFL. I can't stand overtime in the NFL. You know, Mahomes, the Mahomes and Allen game ending was a joke. It was one of the best games I've ever seen in football, and the way it ended in overtime like that was unacceptable. It never should have ended that way. You know, the overtime rules are terrible. I know hockey has a sudden death, but you got to remember in hockey, both the offense and the defense are on the ice at the same time. So you can have... You know, Crosby and Ovechkin on the ice at the same time. So you're not going to be able to say, well, Ovechkin got to score a goal and Crosby never had a chance. No. Uh, Crosby's on there and Crosby's going to score that goal and Ovechkin's going to be left, you know, with a losing game. Can you tell I got a bit of bias? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's fine. I, I like that in hockey. Uh, you know, uh, baseball has the walk-off hit, whether a home run, whatever it is, in the bottom of the ninth. But that's after the visiting team is at the top of the ninth. And if it's in later innings, it's the same scenario. If you're in the top of the tenth, the visiting team, if it's a tie game, scores two runs, it doesn't mean it's the end of the game. We get to go to the home, the bottom of the ninth. And so in the bottom of the ninth, if the home team scores, if if it's still a tie game, or they're down by one and they tie it, it goes to other innings. If they're down by one, after the top of the 10th, they score, and they score again, game's over. Because what's the point? We're not going to continue on an endless loop of games. But at least both sides, both you know the offense and pitching, had a chance at this. And with the NFL, it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible that the way they end these games, where it's basically a flip of a coin, and Mahomes gets the ball after the coin toss, or whoever gets the ball after the coin toss, they score, and we don't get to see the other team. And I mean, your defense is going to be winded, so who knows that it's it's really a fair fight. Uh, it's it's really, sometimes it comes down to, even with calling plays, is just chance. And I think it's an absolutely horrible way to end it. You know, I don't think the Titans option is, is a good one, because it still is a sudden death. And I mean, if you end up running the ball in to get the two-point conversion, well, that's not really any different than just getting a touchdown and walking away. I mean, I maybe if the Titans said move the move the field goal position or the two-point conversion further back, you know, and said, okay, it's going to be a two-point conversion from 30 yards out or a field goal from 50 yards out, I, I might say, eh, that's exciting. But, you know, if you ask me, I think what the NFL needs to do is they just need to do a standard overtime you know, another quarter, or really, I guess, would it be called a fifth? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but just another quarter, and 
play it. Play it both sides. However long, if you want to make it the regular time, or if you want to say, well, no, we're going to condense it, that's fine by me. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind as long as both sides get the ball. And so you do that. And if it's still not, if it's still tied, you know, Mahomes scores a touchdown, Allen scores a touchdown, Mahomes scores a touchdown, Allen scores a touchdown, end of overtime. Okay, well, we're not going to do this for another 15 quarters. We're not going to be here for five and a half hours extra. Okay, what do we do? Well, then I think, you know, you can, for football, if it's still tied after an overtime, then what you can do is, I don't know, look at fourth downs maybe. First downs. I think fourth down would be great personally. I don't know what you think. But if fourth downs during a game meant something for overtime, maybe teams would be willing to try it. Maybe teams would be saying, we both got a fourth down. It looking like it could be a tie game. I got to go for that other fourth down because if we end up a tie game, we win. And th- that sets up so many exciting finishes for a regular time. You know, for, for the regular game, forget overtime. If you get overtime, it takes a Mahomes-Allen game, turns it up to 11, in my opinion. I don't know. I'm just a fan. That's my opinion. But the NFL definitely needs to sort out overtime because it is... I, I'm struggling to come up with, with, a, with an analogy here, but it's taking some of the best football I've seen in a while and then saying... It's like a it's a great movie, and that the ending is terrible, and it just turns you off the whole movie. And and I find that about the playoffs, and I've found that lately as well. I mean, you're watching this amazing game, and you're thinking this is a game I'll remember for the rest of my life. And then how do you remember it? You remember it for all the wrong reasons, the overtime, and you're stuck there sitting, staring at a TV, going, "What the hell just happened? This is garbage." And unfortunately, that's something the NFL needs to happen, needs to change. They're always about changing, and they're always about modernizing. They need to do it this time. They need to change it and figure out something. You know, uh, you know, whatever whatever the NFL decides to do, the walk-off has to be out. You know, and I completely agree with David on this. We can no longer have, oh, you scored a touchdown, game over. Uh, uh, no. No, not unless they can figure out a way to put offense and defense on the field at the same time, which is not going to happen, and the walk-off come up with something better. Okay, so Friday, the story that really spoke to me was the mess that is the Dallas Mavericks. Now, Mark Cuban, at right now, Mark Cuban and the Mavs are being sued by Donnie Nelson, the former president of basketball operations, for retaliation. Turns out he was fired in his eyes for reporting a sexual assault against his nephew, by Cuban's right-hand man. And he stated in this, you know, people don't feel safe in the Mavericks and that they have a problem and that this is the culmination of that problem. The Mavericks responded with, they investigated and they found nothing wrong. And in actual fact, Nelson was rightfully fired for unspecified inappropriate actions he committed. What a mess. (laughs) And David points out to us that Cuban has already been in hot water for uh, work organization issues and he's had to hire outside help to come in and fix the culture of the Mavericks organization and so this is just 
more proof that the Mavericks are really a dumpster fire. And <laughs> I've never seen anything like this in in my life. You know, he David really sums up this this whole mess in a really funny way. You know, he's, he's he you know lays it out like Nelson brings up brings attention to Cuban of this potential sexual assault. Cuban and his people respond it didn't happen and fire the guy and say, well, he's actually the one who's doing inappropriate things. We're just not going to mention them right now. You know, so Nelson's the whistleblower and he whistleblows on himself, according to the Mavericks. So he says there's sexual assault going on. It was against his nephew by Cuban's right-hand guy and yet I whistleblow on myself. I mean, who do you believe? Do you believe Nelson? Do you believe the Mavericks? I mean, as, as David has talked about with Dan Snyder and outside investigation, it's not an independent investigation if you're hiring them. So just because you say you brought outside investigation and hired people, it doesn't mean squat because you hired them. They're giving the report to you. So Cuban saying there's nothing going on? Really? We can believe that? We can buy that? That's what we're going to take? not a chance. And now you've got Nelson saying, well, they fired me for retaliation, and the Mavericks are saying, no, you brought all this to our attention. We started looking into it and found you were the problem. So we had to fire you. We signed you, as David puts it, they signed him for 10 years. They said, this is fine. And then this happens. Then they investigate. And then they fire him for inappropriate conduct, yet they won't tell us. <sighs> What a dumpster fire. What an absolute dumpster fire. And you know what? I really... I, I will never understand how owners operate like this. I really don't. You know, in the past, I do, I do understand that there was no such thing as social media. And things were definitely regional. And no one really cared about issues in the workplace either. You know, society has changed. But Cuban's not an old guy. Cuban is not in his 80s. He's not. He's relatively young, and so he's like fifties maybe. I mean, that's that's young enough to know this this stuff is is not cool. This doesn't fly. It never has, and especially not now. I mean, I think really after Donald Sterling, it changed. Owners in the public eye, I think, get away with a lot less. And I don't see how they didn't see that change. I don't see how they didn't see. I mean, what Donald Sterling said was unacceptable, racist, and he did 100% deserved punishment. I was shocked that they made him sell his team. I mean, I understand why they had to. I mean, they, they kind of had to, but I was still shocked that they did it. But how any owner in any sports league doesn't look at that and say, maybe the tolerance for my bull is a lot less than what I thought it was. That at any point, the league and the fans can flip on you. And what you thought was, I'm safe. I'm the owner of this team. They love me. I'm a god to them. Well, you're not invincible. No one's a god forever. And I just, I don't understand how they, 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 they haven't gotten that message. That, you know, Dan Snyder, still in hot water. It's still, he could end up losing that team. Stephen Ross in the fiasco with potentially paying to tank could lose the team. Donald Sterling lost his team. Mark Cuban? Question mark. What's going to happen? I don't know. 
is the league going to have to step in? Because it turns out, I mean, I'm far from a Dallas Mavericks fan. I do like Luka Doncic. But if this starts going from a regional Dallas, Texas, America national headlines, could Cuban lose his team? I mean, I also think Donald Sterling lost his team, partly because what he said, yes, but I also think it's because he was older and it was the Clippers. I don't think if he was Donald Sterling, 60s, owner of the Celtics, saying these things, hell, saying worse or doing worse, I don't know if they would have forced him to sell. I do think, I do think it was the Clippers, he was old, we can get this done. I, I really do think that. I don't know what they can do with Cuban. Uh, I've lost respect for him, to be honest with you. I used to think of him as a bit of a mouthy owner, getting fines, sitting on the, you know, at the, you know, sitting at courtside, yelling at refs. I, I never was a real fan of Mark Cuban, but I, I respected him. And now, honestly, seeing this, I've lost respect. I, 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 I don't know where it goes from here. I mean, how do you, how does this end with anybody looking good? You've got one side, the Mavericks, and they're saying, we're not the problem, Nelson's the problem. And on the other side, Nelson's going, I'm not the problem, your right-hand man, Mark Cuban, your consigliere, as, as David referred to him as, and I think how true, he sexually assaulted my nephew. And Cuban is denying it, and the Mavericks are denying it. Of course, why would they ever admit that? especially if it's your right-hand guy, most likely he's friends with Cuban. Your right-hand man, when you're a billionaire, or anybody really, you don't just pick a random person to be your right-hand man, you pick a friend. So he's not going to throw his friend under the bus, he's going to throw Nelson under the bus. So, it's a he said, he said, and yet it's horrifying allegations across the board. Cuban has had issues in the past, and... Did he fire a whistleblower for whistleblowing? Or did he fire a whistleblower for whistleblowing on himself? I mean, how do you handle that? What if that is the truth? What if the truth is nothing happened, but Nelson was the one who was doing inappropriate things and we had to fire him? So he brought it to light. The accusation he made of sexual assault against his nephew, that never occurred. But Nelson was doing bad things. I mean, how, how do you unpack that? I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I didn't even know this this lawsuit had happened. Uh, you know, I had to look into it. But it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen next. I do think this is going to blow up because Cuban, he's on TV. I'm not sure if he's still on Shark Tank. Uh, but he's out there. He's a public figure. And he likes the spotlight. He really does. And so I do think this could become a national story and international for the sense of in Canada we get the same news and we'll see about it so it'll be interesting to see you know will Cuban at the end of the year still be the owner of the Mavericks I don't know I, I really don't well that's been another episode of No Offense with Matt Shepard thank you for listening uh, I appreciate it uh, till next time I'm your host Matt Shepard take care <laughs>